All right, welcome into show notes, everybody. Premium newsletter for members this week had an update on East Palestine, some follow-up thoughts on black and Jewish divide in the nation, and a plethora of news items and ruminations from our growing newsletter team. And it is a growing little team. As a reminder, we've switched membership platforms and we're steadily migrating Buy Me A Coffee members over to the new platform on unftr.com. So hopefully you've had a chance to review all the new stories and resources and features on the new website and you're paying attention to all those membership tiers and perks. The free newsletter signups, by the way, are through the roof. So thank you to everyone who's joined the community over there. And if you want to hang with the cool kids on Facebook, remember that you can always join the Unfuckers at All group and hang with the core unfuckers like Knudsen, Dan Garcia, Jan S., Bobby McDee, and so many personalities that comprise this incredible community. Now, it's been a minute since we did a proper show notes because of the schedule of content. So we're excited to dig in. But before we do that, we have a special phone a friend this weekend that I'm really excited to bring you. Now we're going to record it after show notes. So in the off chance that something happens to change the interview date, I'll hold off on saying who it is. But suffice to say, if you're a progressive who's attuned to the political and economic world, our guest is a remarkable resource and someone who I hope will become a regular. And so all things being equal, if you enjoy the conversation this weekend, make sure to reach out to our guest and let them know that you loved it. Now, because we're doing double show notes, I want to dig right into it. But let me just first welcome my comrade, my friend, my longtime friend now. How long have we been friends? How long have we been working together and been occupying the same space? Over six years. Six years. Yeah. My goodness. I would round it up to six and a half, but I think we're... It's the longest relationship in my life. Really? You've been no. married to your wife for... <laughs> Five. It's not, but um, we actually we actually hold on to there's a few of us over here that have been together for quite yeah. some time. Quite some time. Anyway. And I've had Manny in my life for almost two decades. Lucky you. Isn't that isn't that amazing? <laughs> longer than he's had most kids. Mm. Mm. Actually longer mm. than he's had No, one he came kid to our relationship with like with five, kids. I yeah. think already. Yeah. So there's there's one faces <laughs> child who's younger than your relationship with him. <laughs> So, all right, let's dig into things here. We got a lot going on here. Do you want to dig in with um, the election feedback and, and start with Rob? I do, but really quick, since you mentioned it, mm-hmm. Jenna said that you don't look well on Facebook. I don't. Even my daughter said that. In person or because of this thumbnail you chose for the last YouTube video? Just the way I look in the last video, I'm extremely tired and uh, I'm eating poorly and I'm enjoying my whiskey subscription and I'm operating at a in, at a very, very high level of stress right now. And it's all beginning to age and weather my face faster than normal. I think you look okay. I think it's because you see me all the time. It can be kind of jarring if you... So you're like you slowly, in, you're de- like, you know, devolving. Ugh. What's happening with that guy? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to call that out because my hair's at a really good length right now, though. So you can't see the back, though. You can only see the front in the videos. So it's like no, it's true. doesn't matter what length it is. Right. I think you could go a little longer. You well, did love when you had long hair. Well, it's going there. It's getting there. Yeah, but you I'm keep cutting way. it off. I haven't cut it in four months. Let's keep. That's like I cut my hair like once a year. So for me, that's you keep doing it. That's. Three times a year, you're cutting. But I it. usually get it done, you know, like every three weeks. Yeah, I get it did. When you have a little, <laughs> Max used to have this like little baby haircut where he had kind of like <laughs> sprouties in the front, like mm-hmm. a little spiked haircut. Yeah, those weren't your best ones. No, nope. sometimes it came out like that, and I, you didn't <laughs> like it. 
But I'd be like, oh, Max got a haircut. (laughs) 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 But, um, well, hopefully you look better soon. I hope so. I I, I don't plan on it because uh, it's February. It's the worst month. And uh, I just I just get more tired looking and haggard as the months wear on. But then everything rejuvenates come summer and, you know. I'll be back. I could get you some of those like like silicon patches that go under your eyes so you wake up a little bit. No thanks. They have caffeine ones. That's all right. Why? You can get frownies. Do you know what those are? I don't. They're like wrinkle, natural wrinkle defendants. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know what word to use. So they're like these things. You, I'm, I'm miming it like everyone can see me. You put them on like your forehead or other places and they sort of hold your skin taut. Hmm. And they've been using them for like decades, and people swear by them that they prevent wrinkles. I'm just going to stop smiling. How's that? Why? Because that really prevents wrinkles, too. Yeah, but smile wrinkles are nice. One of my best friends from high school was, uh, was committed to not smiling and uh, and also staying out of the sun. And she was, I mean, absolutely beautiful woman. And she was determined at, I mean, this was she was like 17 years old. She's like, I'm, I'm never getting smile lines. I'm like, that's you know, robbing the world of, of, of some joy, some shared joy. Such a beautiful smile, but uh, yeah, she stuck to it. Looks great, mind you. But is she happy? I don't. I mean, I don't know if it's worth it. <laughs> I don't think it is. I, li- I like my smile okay. lines. I like all the lines on my face. I'm fine with it. Uh, I just, um, I am a little haggard right now. I'm. You I'm, know, it's bad when your daughter like finally. Finally goes under your YouTube channel. She's like, oh, well, the picture you, you picked, I thought was intentionally like you look defeated in the like that was intentional. That was intentional. So, and also I'm in hell. That was sort of the backdrop right. of the picture. Right? Yeah. Defeated it's not like and in hell. I feel like people thought maybe it was like the best one you could get. <laughs> what would you what would you look like if you had Biden and Trump whispering in your ear? That's sort of the, what I was going for. But also I, I just look like shit. What are you doing right now? It's a song. Whisper song? I don't know that song. Manny will know it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Well, Manny knows all the things. He does. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, now that we've got your looks out of the way. Thanks. And my looks are obviously perfect, beautiful. They truly are. Look like Linda Evangelista. I'm a model. That's from Drag Race. Okay. That's for my drag race people out there. Oh, they get okay. it. They knew where I was going immediately. All right. So this is uh, Don't Sweat the Election, which I almost told you not to title it that because I felt like, no, we got to sweat. I know that I know it was saying like, hey, don't it worry saying, about it. We already lost. But it was like, yeah. no, we got to we got to tell them to sweat. Get sweaty. Get sweaty, folks. I was being ironical. I know. <laughs> But I thought maybe I knew you were going to get flack for being defeatist already, mm-hmm. even though you were more optimistic. But I thought maybe it was going to be like the final like dirt on the coffin. Mm-hmm. People say that I don't, something's wrong with my brain today. Nail. The final nail in the coffin. I'm doing yeah. like funeral, like they're burying you. Yeah, yeah, you can do that too. But I, I think made, everyone's with <laughs> changed you. Changed it different. I made it different. I told you. I there's like there's like the words here and there's words here and they're not everything's getting lost. I can actually see her brain misfiring as we speak. Genuinely. Yeah. Um but yeah, so she's using a lot of body language to <laughs> convey her stories even before we got on mic, so um I don't yeah. know why. Well, as you said, storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from New York. I talk with my hands. I'm allowed to appropriate other cultures, namely Italian. 
Mm. Italians and Jews from New York are the same person. We've we've talked about that before. Yeah. I mean, literally the same person, different food. It's all starch and uh, carbs-based matzah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just one Bagels. knows what to do with them and the other doesn't. We've gone over this. I know. I don't think you should. I, I don't think you should open this can of worms. I'm not going to open the can of worms. Last time, all I said was bagels, and I ended the conversation. I won. You did. You won with that. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got pizza bagel. I mean, come on. That's right. Top tier. Some of my best friends are pizza bagels. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. So Rob C. As a Nebraska District 1 voter, I'll be voting for Biden. I trust that I will be able to continue to criticize Biden's foreign relations policies and maybe be heard. I trust that Trump will bring ethnic cleansing of Muslims to the U.S., as well as criminalized dissent and the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, as we said in the episode, it is the lesser of two evils. There's no reason to, you know, walk that back or work around that. It is the lesser of two evils. And um, once you're resigned to it, then you have to figure out exactly uh, exactly where you stand in the whole thing. And um, I do understand accelerationist theory. I do understand burning the barn to get to the nails and all of those things. It just sucks that the that the far right has completely co-opted the Republican Party. I mean, they talk about an entire party that is being held hostage by a very far right ethnic nationalist white supremacist tendency. But they seem to be okay with it. People have pushed back on you calling Trump far right, though. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So Trump is not, Trump is non-ideological and Trump does not represent the far right as much as Trump uses the far right and is a convenient ally for the far right. Just like there are almost as though he's he's the chosen vessel for so many like broadly based forces of evil, like how you can have conservative evangelicals look at a truly godless individual who has done anything and everything that would be against what could be considered spiritual or or in accordance with the gospels and say, but he's our he's our vessel. He's our vessel to deliver us. I think that's the same thing for I don't think that uh, now Trump is as a person from New York, we've known that that Trump for for decades is a is a devout is in a deeply racist individual, and he comes by that honestly. I mean, his father was a bircher. His father had uh, written contracts written into his housing affordable housing units in Queens that black people could not get apartments there. I mean, he comes by that very very honestly. Just what he did with the uh, with the Central Park Five alone. Uh, is enough to say that that he is these are deeply held beliefs on his side. So he's a convenient vessel for white supremacists as well. Just like you can have Jewish activists look at him and say he's also our vessel to uh, protect the Zionist project. So it's interesting how how many groups are able to map on to his fascist tendencies, which is the nature of a fascist leader. Remember, it's the cult of a leader who is willing to usurp all other authority in the pursuit of consolidating power. It's just each of these special interest groups think that they that he will use that power to do their bidding. And so far, he hasn't really he hasn't disappointed them. So, yeah, he is not an ideological being, but he is the avatar of so many far right wing ideological groups that that you have to consider his policies as such because that's where he gains strength and where he gains power. Had it been the other way around, and if he was the avatar, if he was Bernie Sanders and ran on a populist message, which he started to flirt with in the very beginning of his campaign, 
except for all of his deeply racist tendencies. He was running on an anti-corporatist, you know, anti-elite type of platform in the very beginning, which I think was was kind of disorienting for people. They knew he was a shitbag. And once once he realized that that wasn't going to fly with the populist base of the progressive left, obviously he just abandoned ship uh, and he just kept digging, you know, digging further and further into the alt-right. But yeah, no, there isn't an ideological bone in that man's body, but he is riding the inevitable wave toward consolidating power as a fascist. What remains to be seen, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about that this year, who does he hire? What does this really look like in practice? And I, what I don't see a lot of is what happens if it all goes sideways again? Meaning we lose both houses and now you have him basically just being able to run the table. I mean, what legislation wouldn't make it past him? It feels like the worst of our imaginations would be possible in that scenario because he's got the Supreme Court if he sews up the executive branch and he runs the table in Congress, that's the holy fuck moment. We're going to have to storm the Capitol. I mean, who would do such a thing? Just get, wait. Are, no one in my What country. are you suggesting? That we storm the Capitol just because we don't like the outcome of I the election? I think I'm going to go into ridiculous. Nancy Pelosi's office and put my feet up on her desk. Why would you? Do, I don't think she has an office anymore. I think they kicked her out of it, remember? But why would you do such a thing just because you didn't like the outcome? Isn't that petulant? Isn't that how you make change? By protesting? That's what Glenn Greenwald would like you to think. <laughs> Glenn Greenwald was... Uh, Is he re- still doing something? He's still doing stuff over on Rumble. There's been He's been out there a lot lately because he's been debating people. Uh, I think he oh, debated good. Destiny over whether or not it would be considered... You can consider the, the, January 6th an insurrection. Did he debate the concept of Destiny? No, Destiny the YouTuber, <laughs> to be clear. Just checking. Uh, and he was he, and he was on another panel. So he, he was debating Destiny on whether or not January 6th was an insurrection. And taking We're the literally position call, that it it's wasn't. Like, it's name, it's Christian name is the insurrection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's yeah. no debate there. I mean, he to me, he lost that one... Uh, going away, as I would say. (laughs) But uh, then he was on a larger panel, which for some fucking reason, Destiny decided to to go on to, which I still can't understand and uh, dig this panel. So it was moderated by Tim Pool's co-host. It had Destiny, Glenn Greenwald and Alex fucking Jones on the panel. Oh, okay. And there was some, yeah, there was, I guess, some idea out there that it might be a legitimate forum. I... Can't figure out who else was on it, but that's enough to know. Is that it was, <laughs> you got you have Glenn, who's of course you know live via satellite from his compound in Brazil. Destiny, a couple of other knuckleheads that might. I wonder if they're from the. Uh... Anyway, so it was, it was on Zero Hedge. Long story short, so many words you're saying that I don't know what they are. <laughs> so long story short is uh, Destiny is considered a like bread tube leftist YouTuber. He's been around for a very long time. Okay. He's losing the plot right now with a lot of progressives on his uh, stance in defense of Israel. He's not really all that equipped to have the debate, but he's been trying to wade into it to show some street cred that he's um, that he's on top of the situation. He's not, and he's kind of getting his lunch eaten in that debate. In other debates, he has been he's sort of been lauded by the left as like one of the smartest YouTubers out there. And this is not, this is not somebody you would want to trifle with. You would not want to wind up engaging in a debate with him. Uh, similar to Vosh, Ben Shapiro, like they're, they've all made their 
they made their bones in the in the debate landscape on YouTube, and um, he's been considered one of the leading progressives. Though a lot of these figures, when you go back in 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 time, especially when they were younger Twitch streamers, they've all got weird stuff in their past that's like you know borderline incel type things in the past where you're just like, I don't know if I really want to be having this out. But they're, I mean, if you listen to Vosh, if you listen to um, Hassan Piker, uh, Destiny, they're all in sort of the same, uh, you know, Venn diagram. Anyway, hmm. that's who those people are. I don't know how people, how are you still defending Israel? Not you, the per- the person anyone i don't get it i don't really know i don't think anything is defensible like there i don't really know this isn't retaliation for one event anymore this is murder like mass murder yeah it's um i don't know i really don't know i mean i know what the positions are and but they they get thinner and thinner as they go on because you know there you still have the defense talking points are uh israel's right to defend itself and uh, the UN is a is a racist and anti-Semitic body, and they don't understand the the history and the facts on the ground, or you know, as as one of my my best friends says, I think I've said his name here before. So it's my one of my best friends, Joel, says, you know, I don't think you've ever said his name. No, no. Well, he listens, and nobody would be able to figure out who he is from that. But I never. Mind. As he says, all things being equal on the ground, with no intervention. The Jews would happily live in peace with the Palestinians, but the Palestinians want to eradicate the Jews and living under that reality. Now, that's a historical, if you go far enough back, but, you know, in the present reality, it, it's almost like one of those things like, you know, what what, what kicked it off? What, what was the what was the starting point? Define your personal starting point with this. So I think for a lot of people that are just kind of coming into this, if your starting point is October 7th, you sort of have this like, well, you reap what you sow. Fuck those guys. You know, they went too far and uh, now you pay the consequences. This is war. This is this is a territorial dispute. And now you can't stay. There's certainly people that take that attitude. And there are people that have very anti or very Islamophobic stances in that part of the world that are just like, I'm sorry, but there's no justification. And, and part of that is all of the standard arguments that we hear. Well, if they were... If they were truly good, wholesome people with the right intent, then they would be absorbed by other nations, as if that's an argument to be made about why you should kick somebody out of their homeland. Well, what about when the Jews needed somewhere to go and no one took them in? Right. Then the same argument can be made. And right, then- except for the Ottomans, who were really the Palestinians at the time, and they absorbed quite nicely into the population. Uh, and then there's the the idea that I, where I think a lot of people are having justifiable conversations is like, who are we defending in the region? Why are we even there? Like, it's very difficult, I think, for a lot of Westerners and people who have an idea of what so-called democracy looks like to go and try to defend predominantly Islamic-run countries, like these theocracies that have terrible, in, in which the LGBTQ community is living under horrific conditions and women don't have equal rights and there's class structures and systems at play and the bodies that are in power are pretty ruthless. And you you see all of these conflations 
around a situation that it's just most people don't understand. And I and I think that and I certainly if I was weighing in on it ha- before having done the the multi-part series, I certainly would have been one of those people. And I feel like Destiny and a few others that are trying to, to weigh in on this situation right now are finding themselves exactly in those crosshairs. Like you don't know what you're talking about. You have no historical context here and you probably should sit this one out. But in the you know, in this modern debate culture, and it's something that we're probably going to talk to our guest about this weekend. Everybody feels a rush to judgment to, to weigh in on things that maybe they have no business weighing in on. You know, like I try to stay in my lane as much as I possibly can because I feel like whenever I veer outside of my lane, I get into trouble because there's people that know this shit and they have this stuff down. You know, like I would never even pretend to tell you the, the first thing about mental health or veganism or animal cruelty or animal rights and the things that are in your wheelhouse and the and the nuances that you bring to the table in those discussions i can propose situations that i read in a book but i mean you know my a lot of my knowledge is a priori knowledge that i can only get from a book or from you know using logical reasoning whereas there are people that are you know, like I saw somebody interviewed the other day, lost a hundred. This is the person that refused to, a doctor that refused to meet with uh, Anthony Blinken. He lost a hundred family members in, in Gaza. A hundred family members. His entire family is wiped out. I mean, can you imagine what that's? So try having the argument with that guy or with Rashid Khalidi or, you know, how about having a, a discussion with an Orthodox Jew inside Israel that also lives in some sort of like weird class system or there's so there's so much to this story that we don't know that I think um, it's it's best left to the experts. Let's just say that. Sorry, I took you on a tangent. No, it's fun. But we haven't talked about it in a while and it's still happening. So it is. We don't want people to think that we're turning turning from from it. Not it's at just, all. We can't. There's not much we can say all the time other than. Yeah, but yeah. And to your point, though, I don't want it to be this month's discussion. Like last month was the Uyghurs and then right. it was Ukrainians before that. And we're still, by the way, through the very ethnocentric lens that we have not talking about Congo and Sudan. I mean, there there are crises that are at the same level as what's happening in Gaza. I think that we just don't. Obviously, we don't take African stories. We don't take the stories of, of black people nearly as seriously as we take in other parts of the of the world that we have more of an economic interest in, of course. And also, those are civil wars among factions that we don't wholly understand because we never really get to see them in our media landscape. So, you know, there we have a lot more work to be done. This year was tentatively going to be I was going to spend a lot more time in South America, and I think I still am as a as a practical matter because there's a lot of really fascinating stories that are developing right now that are also very steeped in historical disputes and power struggles and economic struggles in in that region. And I've long held, I think, for for listeners of the show, you know that I feel like one of the things that we ignore in this country is our most natural trading ally and partner that we've we have this this whole vision of the world that the capitalist society revolves around China and the United States and that everybody else is a bit player in those two sort of ecosystems but when you look at North America and South America I mean we're we have such natural ties we have done so many terrible things to those economies but now that a few of them are ascendant they're growing in different ways what's happening in El Salvador right now is fucking fascinating 
and it's going to it's going to challenge a lot of listeners assumptions when we dig into that but that's totally different than what's going on in Mexico under this quasi liberal but also more autocratic obrador regime that is like cozying up to capitalists in some degree but also uh and 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 not really taking the hardest line that it could against the cartels but having some socially liberal policies and still thumbing its nose at the United States to some extent but then you know playing ball with it on the other side to what's happened what will I mean what will become of Argentina under Millet I mean it's like one of I think will be one of the more fascinating stories over the next couple of years so there's a lot happening there that we don't pay enough attention to and this was really going to be the year that I tried to surface a lot of that stuff uh, but I think the the natural inclination will be to go to where uh, the conflicts are are raging on and we are actually supplying the the gasoline on the fire of so many of these conflicts. Anyway, Kristen C. said, now to get to the point regarding the most recent episode, I held my nose and voted for Joe Biden in 2020 mainly because of his opponent, but also because Anita Hill more or less endorsed him. That's interesting. To me, Biden's treatment of her is a permanent stain on his reputation. After he stated there are no more red lines when it comes to Israel, I decided I will no longer hold my nose and vote for him. His declaration is, to my mind, an utter and total abdication of duty. I will most certainly not vote for Donald Trump or for any third-party candidate, assuming I'm still around. Joe Biden may not have any red lines, but I do. So this is a perfect example of somebody that is, you know, Fool me once, fool me twice, fool me 20 fucking times, and I'm just going to sit out. I'm just going to sit this one out. And like I said it, you know, a couple of times in the last show notes and in the discussion that we had with Roger Williams, to me, the big danger for the Democrats is the sitting out vote, where people are just, they're never going to bring themselves to vote for Donald Trump. But Joe Biden just lost their faith, and they've lost faith in the Democratic processes in this country, and so they sit it out. Those people... Republicans won't sit it out. They'll never sit it out. Their numbers, remember, as much as Biden won the popular vote and had historic turnout numbers, so did Trump, right? That's how I was able to say that even though Biden's biggest constituency was among voters under 50, Trump made gains with millennial voters and the millennial voters are four years older than they were the last time around. They are fully formed grownups in this world. Uh. All right. Not present company excluded. (laughs) I'm not a quota. But they're fully formed grownups in this economy that make up the largest voting block and they are going to begin to shift the narrative. And it's not just that some of them are going to sit out. When you look at the ethnic minority composition of the millennial voter, they may most certainly sit out. And then you're looking at the cadre of of millennials that have actually been convinced to go further to the right. So, you know, when I used to have this idea that the younger voters and the younger generations will save us. And if you remember at the time, 99 was like, "Eh, I know a lot of people, you know, of this generation that are, you know, we're still churning out white frat boys with, you know, backwards hats and, you know, bad attitudes. It's not to mean the frat culture. I'm not. You know what I'm saying, right? I'm just, I, I, I you fucking <laughs> you shit on the frats. Want. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, if anything, it's going to be the, the Gen Z voters who have come of age that could save us because I, well, I saw a stat the other day and by saw a stat, it was probably on Instagram. So forgive me, <laughs> forgive me for being a millennial, <laughs> but uh, that more basically Gen Z women are trending more liberal and Gen Z men are trending more conservative or 
right. Shocking. Yeah. So maybe we have enough uh, young women who can save us, young women and uh, non-binary people who can save us. I, I hope so. I also know just statistically, and this is true over, over I, I think, forever, young people are very, very socially conscious and active and really bad at showing up in elections. And that's why know. the millennials made a much bigger difference in the last election. It's because they're getting older. The the Gen, uh, but these, the Gen Z, I mean, they haven't seen a world that isn't, I mean, all of us haven't seen a world that isn't rife with conflict, but these, I mean, think about your kids. They were born post 9-11, like their whole lives have just been this shit show of this comedy of errors of climate disaster and political disaster and forever wars and uh, I think They're both both of my kids will be old enough to vote in this election and I will have to hold their hands and bring them not your oldest absolutely you think absolutely that's I can't believe that from what I know of her I, that's and I think that's my point is there's a lot of you know voting <sighs> Voting is something I think that you just and and unfuckers correct me if you think that uh, this is any di- will be any different. But historically, young people on campuses are the loudest block. It's why you can go to a Bernie rally, you know, in the past and see stadiums filled with people. It's why Eugene Debs took the red special across the the, the country and got a million votes and people that shook his. I mean, he shook a million hands to get a million votes. And there's a lot of like enthusiasm and a lot of, you know, just noise and and chaos around it. And then they just won't, they just don't vote. I mean, that that is just, that's historic. So I wonder, is this the generation that's finally going to turn the tide? Because every so-called revolutionary, you know, generation of change went exactly the same way. They were the loudest voices in the room and it was the older people that actually showed up and, and pulled the lever. The easiest thing to do they do it on that particular day because they're just, they're hardwired to do it. Whereas young people just, they, they're not in that rhythm. I don't know. Maybe if they gave like a uh, drink tokens, <laughs> I'd show up for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm showing up anyway. I think that's electioneering. I think that's illegal. No. But you can get a no, sticker. No further thoughts. <laughs> I, how, is no. it, how is it electioneering if the, we will, it's incentivizing. We mm-hmm. will, it's not saying if you vote red or blue, it's just saying, here's a drink token. Republicans are making it harder to vote. Don't drink it Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> They're making it harder to vote. They're trying to put up obstacles to vote. Oh, who cares? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> v- voter disenfranchisement is a real problem. I mean that genuinely, even though I said it like sarcastically. It truly is. It I truly is. maybe I wish there was a way that you could vote from home where we could like authenticate yeah, a mail in. Well, I mean, even if it was like on your like on your phone or something, like of even course. easier. Of course. Because then people would vote. Of course. Be 100%. What if you had to like, what if it was like a, a like a what's that telehealth appointment what mm. if it was like a telepoll i think you... that people are now so i you know i actually see it going the other way if i'm being perfectly honest what we have the technology to, to vote that way now yeah we could get that done we could figure it out we could encrypt it we could make sure one person one vote you know yeah, back that's what I'm saying. we if could you, do it you facetime with a like a poll worker who huh? looks at your face and verifies your id yeah and it's and i see us actually going toward the archaic way because the the opportunity 
if nobody believes the outcome of elections that actually have the people looking at you it's and looking fair. at your signature and you have to show up and it's the same person who poll watchers. Yeah, they look the at your signature. They they don't look at yours? No. Nah. I mean, I do. I no. do. I mean, it, it would be, it, it's so, that's why there's no instances of voter fraud. It doesn't fucking exist because it is such, it, it, it is such a high bar to fucking cheat to actually get that done. I think it'd be easier than you think. That people would be... I think it used to be, but I think nowadays, I mean, it, they, it, they've, they, it's been shown. I if, mean, if I, there's a handful. Not voter fraud voter for fraud. strangers. If I, if me and my sister looked more alike, I think I could easily, we don't look alike, so I can't really do that. But I think I could very easily take her ID, vote, and go vote later with as myself. Yes, and that would be an instance of... Extreme voter fraud. So I think I extreme think voter fraud that could happen. Like sure, me taking your ID and voting. Yeah, I mean, hey, the it would right be person hilarious doesn't if look. One on one was like a, like a rabid conservative, and you did that, and then she showed up trying to vote, and they're like, "You already voted." That would be that would be radical. Yeah, that would be awesome. But I don't I don't know if my people maybe just don't care. I I they I don't I think I could not. I think I could say anyone's name and just like. They would be like, okay, sign. No. I'm telling you. No way. They, they don't get my, I, this is just anecdotal, my place, but they don't care. All right, I'm going with you. Okay. All right. It's at beep. <laughs> well, I actually might have to vote somewhere else this year because my parents moved. Oh. Oh. And I don't want to, I, I know it's, I, maybe it's just me. I don't want to change my permanent address to my apartment because I'm not going to live there forever. And I it seems like. I sits this one out. Seems like a hassle. Are you going to sit this one out? Absolutely not. Because it's a hassle? No. Because you can't do it on your phone? No. It's a hassle to change my address to my apartment if so I'm not going to be there forever. Are you going to do it or are you not going to die? I'm going to do it. Greg going to do it? Yeah. Here? Yeah. To the studio? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I thought you meant where am I going to vote? <laughs> um, where are you going to change your address to? If not your apartment, my I'm parents' not your house. Par- Oh, no, to I'm where they, well, where I they have are to, now. Yeah, their okay. permanent address. All right. Let them deal with all my mail. Oh. The other day, my dad said, am I doing your taxes this year? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and I said, you're going to do my taxes until I get married. Because <laughs> then it's his problem. 99. What? Why am I not allowed to take advantage of being a little girl? <laughs> Isn't that my privilege? Because you're 20 and it's time. I'm 20. And it's time. No, I'm almost the three. No. The three. I'm almost three. Let's deny it. I'm not. I'm not afraid of. You know, it. I'm in my fifties now. You're literally. What would you say? A cunt hair into your fifties? <laughs> An RCH. <laughs> it's a red cunt hair, and Sorry. that's a construction term. Well. Yeah, but I'm in my fifties now. I'm not just fifty. We're I'm in my fifties. So I'm in my twenties, and you're in your fifties yeah. right now. Can you believe that? We're at a fun. We're at a fun little crossroads yeah. here. I'm. I'm a twenty-something, and you're fifty-something. You know, there's 19 days of the year where my wife is four years older than me. And for all 19 days, I just, I just, I abuse that fact. I remind her, you're a college education older than me, a four-year degree. Cradle robber. There she is. She is. Four whole years. She's a cougar. Barely. Anyway. All right. Let's move on to uh, Noah J. Yeah. Noah J is back and making peace. Okay. Well, that's good. Oh, I'm oh re- he had written us off, yeah? Not written us off, but Noah was very frustrated with your yes. characterization. So yes. Noah sent in a nice, thoughtful email that said, first, this Wait, was, was Noah the one that was hate listening? No. I gotta go back and find that. Noah was just, Noah was always a fan, but Noah was like, 
no, you're you're getting my criticisms wrong. Like, yes. This is what I'm saying about Biden. You're not understanding me. Yes. And he was he just said, I'm not going to talk about it with you anymore, basically. <laughs> but this episode helped show you guys uh, meet each other where you are. So Noah said, first, this was the exact response I wanted. Biden doesn't deserve our vote. Sadly, I'm hanging what is left of my hope that he wins 100% based on Biden being the lesser of two evils. Later on, Noah said, I don't think we disagree on Biden. I think the difference is I feel like a disenfranchised voter, unable to vote for anyone of actual fucking quality, forced to daily face the reality that the only option I have is to vote for whichever candidate has the best chance of holding the needle being pushed by the lackeys of the right. Don't get me wrong. I'm grateful for your hope. That's why we have these unfucking lessons. In my current mm-hmm. state, I may say your hope is unfounded, but evil prevails only when hope is lost. The qu- this question was presented to me, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. Do you think Nikki will run third party in hopes that Trump gets a conviction, securing moderate votes from both parties? It's an interesting campaign strategy. I just get lost in the red tape of it. Could she switch if she doesn't reach the nomination? Would it be too late? I No, I don't see that happening for the simple matter She's that... She's too busy on SNL. Oh, I know. What a what a star turn in a really like the most unsettling and awkward and and like surprising way possible. All you have to do is watch and follow Bo and Yang. I don't I don't watch SNL, not like a not a braggery. I just don't watch it. But the the subreddit keeps getting recommended to me <laughs> when there's issues and people are always commenting on what Bo and Yang is thinking and saying because Bowen is a gay um is he's a gay person. He's on SNL, he's a liberal person. I I mean, he has, I don't know that he identifies as liberal or progressive, but like he's liberal. So like Chappelle was there two weeks ago. Now she's here. And like apparently like they sent a note to her like uh, in her dressing room, I guess, like, you know, thank you for coming. Something, something like everyone at SNL and Bowen like took a screenshot of him, posted on Instagram and said, everyone smiley face. <laughs> like, so you could just follow to see because what are they doing? What What is this? TV show that has mass appeal and could actually fucking do something. Why are they humanizing? What is what Trump? is this? It's like Fallon having Trump on, but like mm-hmm. worse because you've seen how that goes already. And not that she's as bad as Trump, but she has potential to be if she got elected. Any of these people do. Uh, it's just so frustrating to see people like, what, Lauren, what are you doing? Is he too moderate to see? Does he just care about ratings only and not about the country? I know that's it's a, a small nitpick. Or no, I think in that the they've historically done this. I think that they've tried to, you know, appease all sides to say that you know we're our job is to like, is to parody the whole world. And they've and they've they've platformed people. I mean, like they gave that forum to Sarah Palin when Tina Fey was doing her spot on impression of her. But like she wasn't. I don't. Hillary think, Clinton was on as well. I well, I guess. For Sarah Palin, I will say, I don't think her she as a persona she was as insidious as these people are. Oh I think my god! She, I don't. You don't. You think she is? I think she was just like a dumb figurehead. Oh, she was. She was. She was a a cartoonish version of herself at first, and then she went hard alt right and was still getting platforms during the, her time in office. She, no, after she lost, yeah, during the Obama years, and and they were still making fun not of her. Not enough. I don't was, know why I said that. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. After she was the governor, I mean, yeah. And they still, because she was still a public figure and in the public eye, um, I mean, so I they have a history of bringing on like Bob Dole appeared with Norm Macdonald, and they so they do this frequently. This is an SNL move, 
where they will allow that that loathsome person to be with the person that was lampooning them. I guess I guess what I my frustration and or like my lack of my ambivalence towards Sarah Palin being on it versus today is that things are just so much more dire and these people are so much different and worse and it also could be my obviously my age like not knowing really what Sarah Palin was about other mm-hmm. than being a dumbass um publicly but I just don't I think things were different then a little bit it was just a little different then politics everything was does a little feel cleaner. a little more life and death right now yes without a doubt so but I'm not as life and death as it was in the 60s and early 70s I'll say that yeah that's obviously at the very same fair. level at the same level yeah right but like I don't know I just think I don't know it just if yeah it feels different it felt awful and but uh, it, but it didn't it, so I was shocked to see her because only because I, I don't think she's as relevant a part of the conversation to to have occupied something in the opening spot like that. Yeah. And at the same time, it is very I wasn't surprised that they made the move only because it's very in line for what SNL's done. That's all. I, I would just I, yeah, I, that's fair. I, I just I guess my frustration is like I would hope they they would just be different now and like understand that, you know, I think we could laugh at politicians back then a little more mm-hmm. back then in 2008. <laughs> but like, you know, things were things could be a little funnier and more civil. Things were more civil. Mm-hmm. Is that would you agree? Uh, yeah. Between parties and between. Yes, it's gotten it's gotten worse every single year without a doubt. So like as a as a Democratic voter in 2008, like. I don't think the disdain for the opposing party was the same level. It was disdain nonetheless, but it wasn't like this vitriol that we feel. Well, I, if they, I can only here's the thing. I think that it would have been a more curious choice for them to have like a Ramaswamy on. Then, then I think everybody would be like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. Whereas Nikki Haley is now, it's a three person race. It won't be for long, but it's a three person race. Um, it almost seems like support. It almost seems like support. And I think that in maybe in a subversive sort of way, they think that anything that they can do to humanize everybody around except for Trump is, you know, maybe maybe something positive. I don't know. The, we and have, then again, I feel like it's them just wanting to run the middle and stay relevant. Which is just so it's why do I expect better of Lord Michaels? I don't know. I just feel like I should. I feel like. We owe him a lot in terms of like cultural culture that oh, he's yeah. created. Tremendous. And I guess I just want better for people who maybe at one point in my life I would have not a, I would hero is a strong word, but like you know a lot of admiration, especially when I was in college and thought about working in television. Mm-hmm. So someone who I hold in high regard for what he's created and cultivated, and that he personally signed. I mean, even if he didn't personally send it that the note said Lorne and everyone at SNL, that that was like rubber stamped by him. Right. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know. We're probably spending too much time on this. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't understand the shade against SNL throughout the years. It's like, oh, this one's the worst cast ever. I thought the last one was the worst cast. It's like, they always seem to tap into the cultural milieu and then they, it's a star making vehicle. Not every time, but for sure. I mean, so many people in the culture have come out of Saturday Night Live. It's, it's astounding. Writers Uh, and, and yeah, behind uh, the scenes and in front of the alike. camera. Absolutely. 
Um, the only thing right now that I think kind of gives me life out of SNL is the end of the year jokes swap between Michael Che and Colin Jost. To me, that's the funniest part of the show. Aren't Have you ever seen that? Both not on the show anymore. No, they are. They're still on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they still do weekend updates. I don't together. know. Why I didn't realize. I don't know. Have you ever seen the joke swap that they do? Yes, like when he reads and he'll have to say like a black a black joke, quote mm-hmm. unquote. And this year they did it, and sit, he he made him do it, but sitting right next to a very famous black activist who like marched with Dr. King. <laughs> oh no! And then gave him just the worst fucking jokes in the whole world, and it. So my anyway. roommate likes the the new Lonely Island guys. The please don't destroy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so I've seen some of their videos. Yeah, they're good. Two of them are nepo babies. Yeah, they did a whole video about that. They yeah, said. that yeah. that one I saw. But but I don't know who they're who they're from. <laughs> Higgins from Jimmy Fallon. His Conan's Andy Richter. Yeah, Jimmy's guy is Higgins. Do you know who that is? I have no idea who it's, that is. He, his, I didn't even know he had a guy. I I I've haven't never watched, watched Jimmy Fallon. I used to be. I I've was only like ever seen clips. Die hard watching Fallon again when I was in college and like wanted to work in TV, and um. Higgins is his, you know, he he he's the announcer. You can hear his voice. He's a very distinct voice. I can't do an imitation of him, but he, he you can hear his voice in SNL as well. His son is the one with the black hair. Okay. And I can't remember who the other one is related to. Yeah, because they did a skit with Dakota, Dakota Johnson. Yeah, right? that was fun. I thought that one was funny. But yeah, I mean. The daughter of one of the world's greatest actors, a man that I, I credit with. I thought we were talking about her mom. No, um, you know a lot of the style choices that I that I've made over the years. Uh, certainly, the the, the cadence and in, in the way that I speak, uh, my use of the word "pal" all came from that that time, that particular time. I love that man. Who, who are you gonna name him? Don Johnson. Well, I'm just Sonny fucking Crockett. For the did I need to? I, there might be. We have an 18 year old listener who wrote in. They probably don't know who you're talking about. I'm sure. I'm sure they know. I mean, he he's transcendent. He's like, so like you've got Taylor Swift, um, Beyonce, and I'm doing this in order. They're equal. Of, of they're comments. on the same level, though. Just, uh, no, just no, yeah, no, nope. yes. And and then oh, they're both. Hi, they're both. Above that, you've got Don Johnson. You've got Sonny Crockett and Michael Corleone. The two together. Do you want to hear something pretty wild? It's the base, basic white guy ladder. While we're on the sure. Uh, TV tangent. Mm-hmm. Me and my roommate killed Carl Weathers. Okay, why would you even joke about that? We're Your not, generation I'm, is so I'm fucking weird. I'm not joking. I told it's you, Apollo fucking Creed. I know. We killed, I told you, we killed Ryan O'Neill. Then we killed Glynis Johns. Why were you talking about Carl Weathers? Because he was in Chicago Justice. Oh, Jesus we've, Christ. Listen, we've been done with the Chicago series. Oh, my listen, God. Listen to this. We've been done with the, the core three for weeks now. We were looking for something to watch, and I just said, oh, let's watch Chicago Justice. Not streaming anywhere, weirdly. What the fuck, Dick Wolf? But Carl Weathers is, like, the star of that. And then the next day, he fucking died. And I was like, weren't we just talking about Carl Weathers? And she was like, no. And I was like, fucking slapped her. And I was like, Chicago Justice, we killed This is the third actor we've killed. So do me a favor. And keep Don Johnson's I'm, name I'm not, out your fucking mouth. I didn't say his name. Don't say I'm, it out loud. I'm You're not. like fucking Beetlejuice. My <laughs> God. Do you say these actors three times and then they just fucking disappear? Is no. That, I like, feel like there was a, Carl Weathers, a Carl fourth Weathers, actor Carl we might have killed. But I don't remember who. 
We well, killed R- the mom from the Mary Poppins. R.I.P. Apollo. R.I.P. Uh, what's her name in Mary Poppins? Don't tell me. I don't know. Shh. Winifred? I don't know. Something like that. Her song, Sister Suffragette. She's from the original Mary Poppins. Will adore us. So she's a thousand years she old. She was a hundred, almost a hundred and one. Okay, well that's. But not we had just. We, I put on Mary Poppins. Then we were looking at Wikipedia. And my roommate goes, "Can't believe she's still alive." Next day, two days maybe, fucking dead. And I said, so, "I might chalk that up to just coincidence." Carl Weathers, on the other hand, if, you, if you're murdering, you know, people from from my youth. I mean, he was in Predator for crying out We've loud. We all Ryan O'Neill. I told you. Three, three, three for three. I'm not happy can I, about it. Can I whisper it. some names to you just to, right? But is it, wait, is it only actors from a it, certain I don't period? know if it works. I don't know if it works like this. I, I don't know who's bestowing well, the cosmic power. get a hold of power. that power, please. I didn't mean to kill him. Out, I just wanted to watch Chicago just Justice. Do me a favor. Figure out how it works. Which I said they should put on streaming now that he's dead. Figure out how it works. Do you think he was the one? He was like, don't put that. I don't want anyone talking about it. I don't want anyone to know I was in a Dick Wolf show. Probably. (laughs) David Krumholtz was just in the most recent Law and Order. I don't know who that is either. You don't know who David Krumholtz is? I have no idea. I don't think I've ever even heard the name. That's shocking to me. Okay. Do you remember the show Numbers? Uh, Vaguely. He's Numbers. (laughs) Have you ever seen the Santa Claus? (laughs) He's Bernard. Oh, I, I saw him interviewed on. Uh, he was oh, an yeah, inside you, inside of you, David. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was yeah. He was on the most recent Law and Order, and the commercial was very salacious. It was like a woman walks in, and Olivia Benson's like, "How can I help wait, you? Wait, how can you look at me and be like, I can't believe you don't know David Crumholtz? Everyone knows I mean, who, this guy da- is everyone knows a, who like David a, Crumholtz is. It's like a footnote. Leave David Crumholtz out of this. He's lovely. He's wonderful. I, I literally just watched an interview with him. So you should. I don't know. even know why. But, but that's how that's how much of an he, impact. A woman made. walks in. Olivia Benson's like, how can I help you? And she's like, I'd like to report a rape. And Olivia Benson was like, OK, can you tell me what happened? And she goes, I was the rapist. Oh and then God. you see David Crumholtz like waking up in an apartment, like walking out with just his like pants and a jacket. Yeah, it was I was we don't watch Law and Order, but I was like, I kind of need to know how this one ends. <laughs> so uh, that's that's okay. my Chicago Dick Wolf, Dick Wolf corner of the week. Glad we got that out of the way. I'm and, sorry I killed him. I'm sorry. Andrew S. said, keep it up. Keep speaking your truth. I will. I am killing celebrities, and I don't know why. As an unkanaker, what's up? Give your balls a tug, eh? Looking at the U.S. from the outside, it doesn't look as though the American people are split 50-50. Policy polls show the truth of it. 70-30 splits, 75-25. The policies you talk about, public option health care, relieving student debt, an open push for ceasefire in Gaza, these are the things that people care about. People want progressive ideas. They've just been fooled by propaganda that progressive is a fancy new word for commie pig. Very astute, Andrew S. You're already in a civil war. For decades, the people have been in a mostly cold, viciously one-sided class war with oligarchs and their puppets. The world needs the American people to win. So if you lose a few members or your reach doesn't seem far enough, don't give up, ever. Thank you, Andrew S. Canadians rule. Just say that. I appreciate that sentiment. I'm just going to leave it where it is because I think that was just fucking perfect. Yay, uh, 99. You cut out my... You're going to make me go look for it now. Why would you do that? Because I'm not going to do... You're such an ass. <laughs> now I got to fucking go look for it. I'll start I'll reading. Start reading. Look at the time. Did I put it in the newsletter? Yes. I did, right? <laughs> Ugh. 
So Jasmine said, this is my first time reaching out to the show. What's up, Jasmine? And first of all, I want to thank you for how much this show has helped me in building my political and social awareness. You're welcome. I haven't been listening for that long, and that's because I'm on the younger side of your audience, turned 18 a couple days ago. But cutting to the chase, the reason I've decided to reach out is the mental health episode. I've had to deal with a lot growing up, and I am no stranger to trauma and mental illness. For context, I grew up in a religious family in Syria, had to move when the war got too bad, and ended up in Denmark, one of the most hostile countries towards immigrants in Europe. And I'm only just beginning to deal with the internalized racism and self-hatred that gave me. But it's been especially hard dealing with that in light of the situation in Gaza. This is one of the first wars, other than my own, that I felt this closely. And it always brings back unpleasant memories, which is why I've avoided your Palestine series until recently. What makes it worse is the hostility from the rest of Danish society that we are still experiencing. I have many white and ethnically Danish friends, and they really do mean a lot to me but it has been very difficult to hear the dehumanizing rhetoric from them and having to educate them when I'm in no way in the right mindset to do so. And it's hard to explain exactly why this issue is so personal for me since I'm not from Palestine, but I just see myself in the stories and the headlines, the chemical weapons, the starvation, the carpet bombing, even the story of the girl and her grandpa. But as recently as two days ago, one of the political parties here, the Danish People's Party, Young People Edition or whatever. I don't know what that means, but it makes me laugh. Made political flyers that looked like one-way tickets to, you guessed it, the Middle East for, quote, unstable, maladjusted immigrants. And they were even given out as part of a nationwide school event where students get to play democracy and have a vote in debates, etc. These are 14 to 16-year-olds, most of the minorities being from Syria and Palestine. They got little to no backlash, and it's honestly sickening. Not sure where I'm going with this, and I'm not exactly a writer. I just wanted to share my story and my feelings for any diaspora Palestinians or Arabs out there, fearing for their lives or the lives of their loved ones, feeling lonely or disconnected in a country or a community that already dehumanizes them. You are not alone. You, I think you are a writer because that was really good storytelling. It was. And I felt your pain, and I'm so sorry that you are going through that, Jasmine. And um, I'm glad you have a network of people and... Sometimes it's hard when the race, when racism is institutionalized and bred into people when they haven't been taught anything else. It's hard to not blame them and and take it out on them. But it seems like you have friends who are willing to listen and hear your perspective and value you. And so that's really important. And I hope you can hold on to them in this time and don't get discouraged if it doesn't feel like change is being made overnight. Because sometimes it takes time with people, but if they love you, they'll see that you're right. And people are people. So why should it be? People are people, so why should it be? You and I should get along so I think I know it. Um, the, I'm going to put in the part that 99 cut out and made me search for uh, because she's a bitch. <laughs> Quote, And in the end, from a baby queer feminist, I just want to say 99 is like one of the biggest role models, inspirations in my life. And I love you. And you are just great. That's the that is the closing sentiment from Jasmine's very, very beautiful and thoughtful email. So, yes, you are a writer and you are powerful. And now your story will give others strength as well. And we would ask you to keep up the good fight. And thank you for the kind words about my very good friend, 99. Thank you. The bitch who cut that out. I can't. It makes me too. I know it makes you gooey. I'll make that call. I'll make that decision. I just, it's hard for me (laughs) to like wrap my head head around that people, I'm not saying this in a self-deprecating way, but we still live normal lives. I'm just a normal person on this planet. Hardly. Okay. You're very abnormal. (laughs) 
sure. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big weirdo. I can admit that. But I, it is How hard. How many times have you seen your favorite band? Uh, 89. Okay. Or, Just a no, normal person 90, walking around. 90. I 90. hit my 90th show. It's weird. Um, That's like the least weird thing about me. <laughs> but it is, it's hard for me to feel like I have a voice that matters. And again, I'm not doing this for, I'm not fishing for compliments, but it's weird. Like we're regular people. Mm-hmm. And the fact that things I say matter to you, like it means too much to me that I can't talk about it because it's really nice. I love that. I wish you could see your face right now, but nobody can. I'm, I can tell I'm blushing because my face feels hot. It does. My eyes are glassy. Yes. Because yep. that means tears are near. Yep. That's a happy little 99. Yeah. We love that look. <laughs> Just red and weeping <laughs> like a blister. <laughs> Uh, Kevin G said, I listened to the last episode with great empathy on the section on mental health. I struggled with dysthymia. Is that, uh, how do we think I did there? I think that, dysthymia? that looks right. I I'm not familiar with that uh, word, but I think that's. So Kevin said that is considered high functioning depression and full blown depression for years. Last January, I went through a treatment called TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation. It works so well that I've been, quote, fixed for the ensuing year and have no signs of relapse or a reduction in efficacy. In short, it was a miracle. When I came out the other side, I realized how bad off I was going in. I can't recommend this treatment enough. It really works. I have and cannot comment on that at all because, and nor do I think that Kevin, by the way, is implying, he's saying I can't recommend the treatment enough, but he's not suggesting that it's a panacea for anybody that has uh, mental health issues or struggles. Yeah, I think But just, maybe it's just something to research and look into. Yeah, I, w- I actually thought about that when we were doing our episode that, you know, talking about treatments. I think I might have mentioned that they were like, like I called them forms of shock therapy, which mm-hmm. I believe this is a kind of like, not literal shocks, but I think it kind of like put this space cap on and it shoots little dinghies into your brain and mm-hmm. it... I don't know how it works, but I have heard like amazing things from everyone who's done it. Obviously, again, not doctors can't recommend procedures, but if you are struggling, I mean, it's definitely something I'm going to Google and research more and like mm-hmm. see what what it means. And I don't know what goes into it because it sounds pretty great to just get a few brain zappies and feel feel normal. Um, I would certainly like that, mm. <laughs> but for other people, yeah, I think it's good to, to surface that as a treatment that is uh, surfacing, uh, surface, surface, surface. I just said it like three times, but it's, y- you get what I'm The brain is, is, it's a physical thing. It's uh, an electric thing. It's a chemical thing. Boogie, boogie, boogie. It's all, of, it's all of the things. That's why it's the most complicated, complex thing on the planet. And um, if what, what, what works for one person... Uh, might not work for another, but if it's a therapy that exists in the world and there are people that have found it to be efficacious, then uh, by all means, if you suffer from dysthymia or any related uh, type of depression, it could be something to look into. Again, we'll never say or stand by something because every each person's situation is unique, period, end of story. But Kevin, uh, it's very kind of you to share that and uh, we do appreciate you reaching out so that others can can learn about it. And then we heard from Pastor Tim. My man. We didn't really have any feedback from the strong man. This is technically show notes for the Revenge of the Strong Man episode, but people weren't, they didn't really say much about it. So we actually. There were some people that didn't like it on YouTube. Yes. For sure. That I saw, but they were more, they didn't seem constructive enough to include as more just like, I wouldn't say that. Mm. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And by the way, on fuckers, if you're still with us right now, you know, you, you can defend my honor anytime. 
uh, on YouTube <laughs> if you if you're ready so and willing. But um, we had a lot of you know people uh, I guess late to it. I mean it's not late because you can listen whatever, but late to the show notes writing it about mental health. So I wanted to include those because I feel like that was one of those more conversational conversation jogging ones that we've done in a while. Totally. Um, and we always get great stories. So Pastor Tim wrote in and said, 99, I am sometimes up in the air about the banter twixt you and Max, mm. as has been noted, but your willingness to be vulnerable and honest about your history impressed the living hell out of me. Bravo. Seriously. In fact, I think the whole thing was outstanding. Oh, come on. Don't edit. Oh, I, that wasn't on purpose. He said fucking outstanding. <laughs> the whole fucking thing was outstanding. My brain just genuinely didn't read it. And then if I had stopped. It's just something that gives me such great pleasure of reading a Pastor Tim comment. It was like, the whole fucking thing was outstanding. <laughs> it's the best. Yes. It's the coolest. Sorry for censoring you. It Our was Oregonian. unintentional. Uh, the only thing I wish you'd spent a touch more or any time on was the level of shame attached to mental health struggles in the past, say, 70 years ago. 70 years ago. <laughs> nope. That's why I didn't stop when I didn't say fucking because it is, this happens. My bad. The only thing I wish you'd spent a touch more or any time on was the level of shame attached to mental health struggles in the past, say, 70 years or so. I had an in-law who struggled with bipolar depression for the bulk of their lives. Their suffering from the, from the disorder was equaled by the suffering they felt at the hands and glares of their contemporaries, family, and society at large. Then later in the email, uh, Pastor Tim said, As much as I like hearing you tear Milton Freeman a new asshole from time to time, this was among the most moving episodes for me, and I wanted to let you know that. We'll get to work on our fucked up healthcare model next, because some things don't get, quote, fixed. You just have to keep at them, and that's all there is to it. Here, here. Well done. I think the only aspect of shame that we touched on was in, I want to say, post-show musings when we talked about the author of Bedlam noting that and, and and a number of the professionals that he interviewed for the book came into mental health, into the field, because they had a personal experience with it. Somebody in their family, somebody that they loved dearly or something that was really complicated in their lives that they couldn't let go of. And they came into it. And then he remarked at how few of them admitted that to be the reason, because they're even for them, the people that were closest to it, experienced a great level of shame of having it in their family. You know, and I, I, I see that also with people who are afraid of revealing mental illness in their family because, and this is going to sound like a little bit of a leap, except I've had very specific conversations about this, of people that were concerned about finding partners in life, people that were concerned about having children and passing on these type of genes as if it's something that could be deliberately passed on. And these are conversations that I think people have great fear about you know, oh, you know, oh, my mother suffered from, you know, mental illness and it run, it quote runs in the family and there, I don't know if I should uh, be with anybody or if I should, you know, continue on, you know, our, you our family name. Politely tell that person that you're talking about eugenics. That's right. That's I mean, right. I mean, I, I'm not, I mean it yeah. like not so casually talking about what should you pass on or not. I mean, obviously there, there are conversations to be had if you have something that's going to shorten your quality of life or mm -hmm. if you ha know that you're going to pass on something that like would kill a child immediately like yes right. have those conversations but like you can live with mental illness and have a really fulfilling life of course albeit with struggles but you can't not the point have is that the shame rises right. to that level yes. where people will even have conversations self-selecting them out of the you know out of the future and that that's i mean that that's why we need to have these conversations to show that you that we're all in this together. 
the point of doing the episode is part of the, uh, you know, as part of our prescription for unfucking the, the world is to demonstrate how these things are part of human nature and they have been around, but they have been accelerated and amplified and chemically twisted and generated by the capitalist system that we live within. So um, that's why I'm glad to hear that it's always nice when you get alignment from your listeners to say that was a really great episode. Uh, and also you made it so personal that you touched me because this is I in my family. All of our listeners. <laughs> this is this is something I care about deeply. Uh, and also it humanizes us as well and just shows that, you know, we're we're willing to, you know, admit certain things like, listen, um, you know, I know ninety nine went out on a limb to share some things is, you know, because we want to destigmatize it. Just like I, you know, I'm willing to admit there are days when, you know, my hair doesn't, just doesn't look Ooh. as good as other days. I thought you were you know? going to say that you used to be a Republican. That, w- that might've been like a little more meaningful. I, I know you were going for comedy, Sorry. but boo. Okay. That I'm a recovering Republican. There is hope. See, some things can be. Are you fixed. a what do they call some them? mental illnesses can be fixed? They call what are they like a, a dry alcoholic? Are you a dry Republican? I think I'm, no, I'm I'm recovered. <laughs> okay, I'm fully recovered. Okay, good. Yeah. Just had, checking. Yeah, that was a test, and you. Passed. I got my electroshock therapy through reading books. Oh. About that. Yeah. Uh, this is another good one. This is from John C. Uh, is one of my least favorite names uh, in the world. <laughs> Unrelated to you, John. <laughs> we promise. Uh, my mortal enemy is John C. And John Cena. Don't. It's a long story. Long why. story. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is. We have been really building this up for a payoff, haven't we? Yes, we have. Um, but John C. wrote a great email. Said, "Just took a vacation. Speaking of mental health, no podcast. So I didn't catch up with this episode until Sunday. I'd like to mention something and pose a question. I have a situation I don't know how to handle. Maybe you can all shed some light." So one thing we talk about often in the media conversations, et cetera, is the toll that COVID took on the youth. I feel there's another demographic that was seriously affected and is often overlooked, seniors. My question is, how do you talk to someone, especially someone older, about receiving help? I ask because I have a senior friend that on top of the COVID pandemic was diagnosed with breast cancer and after the mastectomy, of course, was was even at a higher immune risk. Since then, she's been slowly retreating in on herself and recently been going through a very low period. I fear that I am losing her. Anyway, I wanted to point out that seniors are scared and they're dealing with a separate set of mental health issues due in large part to isolation. How do I talk to my friend? The mental care stigma is even greater with the older folks. Um, so what, yeah, one thing I will say just from a, a personal note is that the if this person had uh, gone through the mastectomy, and then even some treatment at, thereafter. The mental toll is uh, is extreme. The there is the uh, there's a sense, and, and I'm only saying this just because I, I went through it with my mother for you know for more than two decades. The the loss of perceived femininity and attractiveness, and uh, with going through a mastectomy, is very real. And it is something that that way. I mean, that's why if any, if you ever see anybody rush to go in to to have surgery afterwards, to what do you call that surgery? The breast the, augmentation uh, to get breast augmentation to get implants afterwards is because there is a there is a sense that you are losing uh, a part of yourself and a part of your identity. I mean, it is a piece of your body that uh, is no longer there. Also, the idea that that piece of your body that was a part of your cultural identity was also then making you sick. 
So that's a heavy, heavy thing to think about anyway. And then a lot of the cocktails of drugs and therapies thereafter from whether it's just simple radiation to make sure that everything was taken taken out uh, right through uh, doses of chemotherapy changes your body chemistry and your brain chemistry in a way that if you if you haven't been on or haven't seen somebody go through it is is significant to say the least. So my mother battled tremendous, tremendous depression uh, after having a mastectomy and then going through at the time what therapies that don't even exist anymore because it was so early on that they were absolutely barbaric and she lost herself in that process and it took a very 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 long time for her to find herself again and to be comfortable uh, in her own skin and even still she never really reclaimed that part of her uh, that she felt that she lost going into it um, so the only thing that I can say is that asking those person, those people questions in really quiet spaces and quiet moments and then listening is really vital. Uh, and I think that that's something that carries through to all mental health. And, and if you have the connection with the person and if you have somebody that, that you love and if there's a level of trust there, to be able to get super quiet and then just ask them, what's this like? Um, because it opens a window for them to be able to explain certain things that you wouldn't normally explain if you were having a clinical conversation. Like It's different than, how are you feeling? Hey, how's it going? And, you know, you're, it's not pandering, it's not patronizing, but literally sitting with somebody in that quiet space and saying, what is this like? Can you even describe this to me? And, and appeal to them on a different human level rather than just some... Because I think a lot of people that are in that place and that are sick and that they're grieving for a part of themselves or a piece of their body or the fact that that piece of their body was making them sick, actually don't like to be patronized and pandered by it being asked over and over, how you doing, how no you one, feeling? No one likes that. No one likes yeah. that, absolutely. Because it's not so a I genuine question. I find that that's question. a better approach to it, is to say, help me understand where you are right now and how you're, you know, how you're synthesizing all of this. Like, what's changed inside of you? Ask real questions of that person, and I think you'll find them fairly open to uh, to to giving of themselves in a way that will be healing to them. And then on the flip side, if that person is not receptive to it, it's like any other trauma that somebody's dealing with. If it's an if it's not a place that they're willing to go, which my mother famously was not willing to go for so so long, then don't stop asking and just be. Just be around them and and be normal as much as you can. But I think the the more you draw attention to it by asking about you know how you doing, the the less inclined people are to it. And I think I mean from a your your story is very niche to what John is talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but from you know if we're talking in in general to to an older generation who might not have you know have had to go through like treatments and stuff, just someone who maybe is in isolation from the pandemic or just is experiencing some sort of mental health crisis or episode for whatever reason. I think, so I have to talk about myself to then get to the point. In times where I feel, where I feel like it's not worth it, like where there's just too much, you know, too much sadness in the world or too much going on or where it just doesn't feel worth it. In those moments of like, not feeling like, it's worth it to be here. I can only imagine how much more I'd feel that if I was closer to like 
my natural end of my life. Mm-hmm. So if I'm an older person, mm-hmm. if I feel this at 29, mm-hmm. like that, that sometimes it's too much. I can only imagine how much more susceptible I could be to that type of final talk at an older age. Mm-hmm. So I think telling them that their life still is worth it just because you're older doesn't mean that you're not worth something. You know, I say older age, like I could be feeling this way at 70, but I could live to 100. Like just because you might be an older person doesn't mean you don't have time left or it's not worth it. So I think meeting someone on that level of like, you have plenty of time left here. Mm -hmm. You have things to do. You have people to see. You know, hopefully they have family to love and hug and visit. You know, not everyone is fortunate, but I think talking from that angle. What about the strategy of reaching out to people for help yourself? So I always feel like one of the the ways that people feel the most seen is when they're when other people are in need of them. Like saying to this person, I need like I need you. I need your advice. I need some help with something or can you help me with something? A way to be part of that person's life to be around them where they they feel like they're also giving something back to you that you can't get anywhere else. I yeah, I think I think it's valid as long as it's genuine. You know, yeah. if you're going over there being like, I need you to open this jar. <laughs> They're like a 94-year-old person. Maybe, you know, find a different open strategy. Open your own fucking jar. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, as long as it's not diabolical, what your plan of like, let me get in there and operate from the inside. But I don't think there's anything wrong with it unless a person is going through so much that they can't, even your fake or real scenario mm-hmm. might be too much for them. At that, you know, you just have to use your discretion of like, if this person is just carrying so much that they don't have any room in their brain for you right now, Mm -hmm. it might not work. You know, it might be like, well, (laughs) go fuck yourself. I literally, I'm struggling to get up and eat. How do you think I have time for you right now? I just think, well, like asking somebody's advice on something or for feedback on something is a way of validating somebody without taking up too much headspace that reminds them that they're, they're, they're a person in the world. With, with value and meaning, especially in, in this new landscape of such tremendous isolation. I mean, COVID, my wife said it to me the other day. She, she was talking about uh, the kids in the education system that are still different. They're just changed. And she, you know, in the way she was perceiving it is there are undiagnosed and unspoken traumas that we haven't dealt with that is it that is imprinted on this generation in a way that I don't think we're going to understand for many, many years. And I think that that's totally, totally valid. And so at the same time, just because people have lived more doesn't mean that they too can't be imprinted upon in the same way. And I think isolation is one of the one of the extreme cases that truly does imprint on your consciousness in a way that um, can can send somebody spiraling. So even just a simple gesture of validating their very existence by asking for their advice, their feedback, or to commune in something that you can share and then talk about afterwards, like, you know, sitting down watching a movie or whatever it is. It's These are all just like genuine, small, social, life-affirming things that I think just, you know, are all part of the human condition that we've kind of lost a little bit of touch with because of the extreme isolation that I dearly love and want more of personally. (laughs) Shaking my head. Yeah. You know what I mean? Simple gestures. Yeah. I I think it's all, it it, it just has to be done with, I I like, I guess I'm, I'm thinking of a person who, not a specific person, but Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of if I was in this situation and I had somebody who isn't, 
I'm thinking of like a selfish person reaching out to me and asking me for help or something when I'm struggling and me mm-hmm. being like, you know, in this hypothetical, not being receptive to it. But, yeah. you know, in your and I think that's why I keep getting stuck on it is because I'm like, no, go fuck yourself. Like, you know, someone who's not there actually there for you. But in your situation, the the, the scenario you're positing, mm-hmm. the person is intentionally trying to be supportive. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> I just keep getting stuck in a hypothetical where some bitch is like, help me. I'm so, like, I don't want to. I think what I'm I, I think what really stuck with me is toward at the tail end of my mother's treatments where she decided right before she decided to stop being treated anymore. And she was certainly at a point in her life where there, where the expiration date was, was pretty clear and her birthday rolled around and, and it was like, what, what, what do you, what do you give somebody who's literally just trying to get rid of all their earthly possessions or somebody that was starting to break off relationships like on purpose because there's no time, you know? So this person is like identified at the amount of time that I have left, I'm going to do a specific set of things with only a very few handful of people and I don't want stuff and whatever. And so, and I'd asked her like, what, you know, what, so what do you want? What do you want? And she said, I want just a small kindness. And whatever you think that is, a small kindness, a gesture. And it's so funny when you think about that, it was the thing that she wanted to be seen. She didn't want a thing. She just wanted to be understood because that's the, I think that's the, that's the essence of kindness is when you can give somebody a gesture or a moment that makes them feel like they are seen and that they're validated. They've had an impact on the world and, you know, in that same sort of sense. And that's so when she said as one small kindness, it was like, wow, that is the most profound request that I found to be one of the most difficult things to fulfill. You know, what, cause what does that mean? Um, and, and for me, I mean, I found the perfect gift for her because I knew, I knew what, I knew what that meant for us. So when it's not somebody that's as close to you as we were, maybe, I don't know, but it just, I think it taught me a very valuable lesson in that moment that sometimes being seen is these is the single most important thing that we can have when we feel like we're out of options just see me you know and we can relate that to so many of these struggles and we talk about here for years um the the jewish experience in the world is this is a people that did not feel seen they were cast aside that's what led to the di- to, to the diaspora the palestinian plight right now they don't feel seen in a lot of the places and the quarters that they they want to be validated and feel seen. And that's why these, you know, these movements give them life as well. Or what's happening in, in Congo or Sudan. Like these are, you, you can't address situations until you see people in, in, in their own realities and for what they are and really make genuine, authentic attempts to meet them where they are. So I was happy for the feedback that we got on the Biden episode and, People understanding like, okay, this is a process for you as well. Like working along, working along an intellectual path that will bring you to a place where we're all hearing each other, you know, and it took me a while, right? I mean, it's taken me a few months to really articulate. And that's why I had to pause everything and, and articulate like, okay, everybody, I actually hear you. And not only do I hear you, and I'm not just going to give you a retort to all this. 
I'm actually ingesting this feedback and I'm putting myself in a situation where, and I, and I put myself in that extreme example, like, okay, so I understand that this is all fucked and both candidates are terrible. And are there really levels to evil? Like intellectually, that even seems like a dishonest argument to me. Like evil is evil. And if we have a vote, we should vote for something that makes it better. So can you get out of yourself to put yourself in the position of someone in the trans community as an example, which is why I use that example very specifically, where this community wants to be seen as just human. Can we humanize this community? Well, the way that we're not going to do that is by going to the extreme potential of this election, which would be two houses of Congress, an executive branch, and a Supreme Court that has made its, basically, that has it made its, built its entire character around othering people and that they have the legislative and legal and lawful capacity to legislate these people out of existence. So if we're going to do this for anybody, let's put our votes where our hearts are in this instance and let these people be seen. So I think it's, I don't know, from the smallest example to the biggest example that you can imagine, being seen is more important than shouting. That was beautiful. You think Manny will cut it? (laughs) He'll be like, ah, cut for time. (laughs) Sorry, we don't care about your trauma. Uh, I think everyone could aspire to have the type of impact and lessons that she taught you on other people. Yeah. And and I think I want people to understand that, like, um, you know, I I am learning through this show and I'm not going to get it right. And and you're you're when you're pushing me, it lets me know that maybe I need to kind of, like you know. I need to shake things up in my own head. How come when I push you, you don't? <laughs> oh, that's so not true. And you know it. It's so not true. I know, but it takes so fucking long. It does, because I'm a <laughs> dumb animal. Like, hello. I'm a very dumb animal. What are we doing here? Let's go over to Facebook. Or the Facebook. So Dan G has been openly another critical person akin to Noah J of <laughs> your Biden. But Dan finally understands. So they say, Max, I truly appreciate you meeting many people, myself included, in the middle with a concise yet detailed explanation of your position. I get it now, but I was not alone in scratching my head and staring like the RCA dog (laughs) after hearing snippets of your intent. Your Your intransigence is obstinate, adequate, and I dare say, I have never pronounced this out loud. Wow. Neither have I. Contumacious? Would you say? I think contumacious. Let's look that shit up. But I can respect that because it's your truth. Stubbornly, willfully disobedient to authority. Hang contumacious. On. Ready? Let's turn this shit up. Contumacious. Ooh. Woo, you nailed it. I mean, when you look at it, it's not that hard. So, no, it's not. But it just... It's not. It's a great word. Contumacious. Contumacious. <laughs> I, knew, I knew where this was going. Any excuse for us to say the C word, for you to say the C word, you filthy potty mouth little trollop you oh a trollop (laughs) not a wench (laughs) well thanks dan uh appreciate that pure vision equines over on the instagram said hillary showed what can happen if you feel entitled to people's votes because you're not gonna let this guy win right but considering that even her takeaway was it was their fault so true and the dems establishment doesn't seem to have changed their tune much also true 
I think we need to brace for the impact ugh, of another red dictatorial brick coming at the world, courtesy of the U.S. population, sick and tired of the continuing failures of their leaders domestically and abroad. Yes, giving uh, giving light and credence to the idea that people are going to just fucking sit this one out. Pokemon go to the polls. Ooh. And our buddy John Kane. Yeah, is this our John that? Kane? It is our John Kane. Oh, fun. John Kane said, clearly Americans learned nothing from one term of Trump. Their answer was Biden. Perhaps if Trump pulled off a second term after the 2020 election, a clean slate of candidates now could pick up the pieces. To be back here now makes me wonder if a Trump win in 2020 would have been the best thing for today. Oof. That's radical. Um, and also really fucking interesting. Like if you just gave him the keys to continue fucking humping this thing into the ground, Ew. would we finally be done with dictators? Or would it have actually swung us? You know, would he have just won the day? Schrodinger's cat. Yeah. Good one. Thank you. All right. Have you seen the memes of like, we're in the same election and the same Super Bowl? Oh, no, I haven't As seen 2020. Yeah. Oh dear. Uh, yeah. Oh. Okay, so we have to root for the Chiefs. I'm right? rooting. Well, I'm obviously rooting for them anyway. Oh my God! Yeah. Karma is oh, the guy God. on the oh, Chiefs. Man, we made it 129. We made it. Except an hour for and a half our new, our we have a writer. <laughs> we have a writer in our uh, on our team. Yeah. Who is writing our column? Not for nothing. His name is it's in the member. What's his, what's his name? It's in the member only newsletter. Yes. By the way, well, his name is. <laughs> Ryan Stanko. That's his name. Um, and he decided to take a, a little bit of a shot at Taylor this week. <laughs> he knows who's editing. And, you know, thankfully, in the weeks past, we didn't put his name on it. And thank <laughs> God we did. Because I was going to, if it, because I didn't, when we started it, I didn't know if the intention was it, was he was ghostwriting for you or writing as himself. Right. So if yes. he was ghostwriting for you, I was going to fucking delete it. <laughs> Because we don't, it wasn't slander, but it was like, Taylor's everywhere, blah, 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 she's quit, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't care if you're sort of saying something nice at the end that like she makes music that's not for you, but you know, she's obviously great. I said, uh uh, I told him, tread lightly. Mm-hmm. We are pro Taylor on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh uh-uh. uh. All Taylor all the time. Look, I understand. Jay Z is unhappy. Very unhappy. We don't know if that was targeted at her. I mean,. It really wasn't. I think he was trying to get laid. That's what I'm. That's what I'm. I thinking. think people should let Beyonce fight her own fucking battles because, to me, exactly. W- what did Kanye do? That's because right. Because he tried to fight for Beyonce. She wasn't happy about it either. And who's kikiing now? Beyonce and Taylor are friends. Yeah. So we don't. We don't need men fighting our battles. Exactly. Beyonce is the fucking queen. Yeah, she's she, superior to Taylor. They're both queens. <laughs> So I just think we should let women yeah, speak. Seriously. Maybe give her that fucking impact award and not Jay-Z. Maybe. But. Maybe maybe don't arrest Killer Mike after he wins the awards I and know, that you don't I, televise. I just think it was really funny that they were like, he's going to be there. Go, go, go. Fucking amazing, right? The government. If, will, if, if there was a warrant out for Willie Nelson's arrest for pot charges <laughs> somewhere in like fucking Oklahoma, would they be like, well, we know we'll be at the Grammys. It's, I mean, he, it just it's so funny. Like, I know it's not funny, but like if as it, a it's, story, it's really funny. It's, it's something ridiculous. The Onion would write. It is. Like Killer Mike wins three Grammys and then this <laughs> immediately just arrested. arrested yeah. Because they knew where he was. Bolo, the Grammys. But awful. we are. I don't even know all the details on that story except to say that I don't. I didn't want him. 
I didn't want him. I was so mad. What did he say? I didn't read it. I'm just Manny. <laughs> punch in. Let yeah. us know because that may. I was texting with Manny that night, and he's all over it. So yeah. Apparently, it was some scuffle with a security guard. He was Killer Mike was trying to get to an area where he probably had access to, but maybe didn't have credentials or whatever, and was like, "Here are my Grammys. Look." And the security guard was like, "I don't care." And then it was a thing. Uh, booked in misdemeanor battery and released that night. So all's well. When a local Atlanta reporter reached out to him and asked him, but are you good? He was like, I'm good. I'm three Grammys good. So I think I think it'll be fine. Uh, what I did like, and I just want to encourage people to do, uh, is check out his acceptance speech, which was short and in, but inspirational. And then also his post-win press conference, where he answered a bunch of questions. And one thing that he did, which I really loved, and I wish a lot of more of our older hip-hop OGs kind of did was rattled off the names of some cool young artists from Atlanta in, in particular uh, that are doing good work. So anyway, great night for for Killer Mike and a deserved win. Uh, I think they got this one right. Look, but I, it, what's even more egregious is that they didn't fucking. It, he, so he won. He won three awards in the rap category. They're not even televised. They. I mean, how the fuck do you not televise? They televised that about of it? seven awards. It's I don't mad, know if you but, realized. I they the rap. They stopped. It was like R and B. Uh, pop vocal performance, album of the year, record of the year, song of the year, new artist, and country. I feel like are the only ones. I think it's because that one girl got up there and she just spoke for like 30 fucking okay, minutes. Okay, she's the Jesus new Christ. artist. Let her speak. Yeah, but it was like, all right. Obviously, she had you've a never lot seen of pe- this, an award show. Her whole life is waiting for this moment. Her whole fucking 12 years of it. Uh, Victoria Monet, and she's 34. Shut up and sit down. No. Billy Joel's got to play. Yeah, two songs <laughs> unnecessarily. <laughs> Who is that guy? Who? Uh, I don't know. Donnie? I don't know what his fucking I mean, name is. Right? He, okay, because he started the story was like, my mom said I should beat Billy Joel. And finally, she found a friend of a friend of a doctor who yeah. knew him. And then we had lunch. Yeah. And now we're best friends. And I made right? him write a new song. What does this man have on Billy Joel? I don't know. That he came out of retirement. And then they became friends. Songwriting retirement. I want to be his friend. Also, the song is, the, I said, did he need to tell the story if the song tells the story? This, the story Billy Joel told is exactly what he's singing about. I didn't see him tell the story. You didn't? Of, of, of him clearly being in trouble in his fourth marriage? That's what I took out of it. I just thought it was about coming back one 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 last ride. Oh, no, that was just, just that is a man in trouble They in were on the red house. carpet together. Now, the song, when was that? He probably played that song for her months and months ago. I was like, please, open the door. No, I think it's about him coming out. Not no, like that. No, no way, dude. This is a man in I guess trouble. I don't this is have, a man who done fucked up in his marriage. I don't have divorce radar like <laughs> you, you might. No, I'm just a married man who's you know been in those situations where you're like, please, open the door. We've all, we've all said those lyrics out loud. <laughs> well, I don't know. But yeah, that man is just a, uh, he's a 20-year-old man, it's seemingly, who is now best friends with Billy Joel. I'm so fucking mad about it. So weird. And then they yeah. show him like in the audience. And I'm like, who and by the are way, you? Stop saying Billy Joel's name out loud before he fucking dies. Beetlejuice. I actually think my roommate witch. is the one who wields the power. All right. If well, that tell is her better. to look the other way. But anyway, Taylor is a queen. Yes, yeah, she is. I just, I love her. This I know. is what I want. I, and I, people, mm. can I, can I, can I just, can I speak for one moment? Just one moment. Okay. She makes people so happy. Mm -hmm. And why can't we just all have that? What did I say in our meeting the other day? 
No, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking to the... Because I made the mistake of checking Twitter. Because I wanted to know what people were saying. Don't do that. I know. It's a bad... It's a it was, Everyone was so mean to her. She ignored Celine Dion. She, I think she genuinely was shocked this time. I know she feigns... You know, like, we all know she has a surprise face and whatever. We can all joke about it. She's joked about it. But, like, I really don't think she expected to win this one. I don't think she expected to win all of the year. I think it was genuine surprise because... She probably was like, I'm not going to win it because they're going to, because I'm going to make history and they're not going to do it because they're not going to do it. Not going to do it. That's, that's, um, that's my podcast making fun of George Bush senior. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I just think she was surprised. She didn't mean to ignore Celine. And then they post a picture hugging later. It's fine. I didn't see her even ignore Celine. She, okay. So she came on stage. Celine, apparently Celine is (laughs) suffering from something called stiff person syndrome yeah yeah i i was shocked that she was even out there who named that i don't know because it's hilarious it's not great i kept reading it and i'm like it sounds like something i'd name it's not great you got stiff person (laughs) syndrome over there fucking statue Uh, like i have (laughs) stiff person syndrome yeah it's It's a really bad name so apparently that was the surprise that she was gonna be there i feel like it was i think she could have stayed home i think it was oh my i'm the fuck 99 (laughs) Now who's being able to? I meant I don't mean it like that. I meant so because they didn't give her because enough. Taylor's not getting no. any, because Taylor's getting blowback. You're like if she was gonna, Celine put her in a no. terrible position by being. If she was gonna be there, I feel like they should have done more like pomp and circumstance for her. I didn't know she was sick. I had I have no idea. So, but I just mean in general, she's an icon. So like let's you know let's give her a moment. Let's talk about her legacy. You know what I mean? I felt like they, why we gave it to Joni. Joni earned it this year. This is Joni's I know, but, year. But then why what, have Selena to upstage it with her own fucking Mishigas? Well, I mean, then let Joni present the award. You know what I mean? <laughs> Joni can't even fucking move either. Someone could put her she in had an aneurysm. They wheel she her in a wheelchair. Fucking, oh, so what? Everybody could be like, oh, Taylor tripped over Joni. I mean, obviously that would Taylor, be horrible. Right? But I just I'm saying that I think if if this was the moment for Celine. We should have given her more. So that's all I mean. It's like, she deserved more. So then Taylor comes on stage and she turned around because she was talking to Jack, her producer, Mm -hmm. and someone else. And then when she she took the award and then kind of looked forward and didn't look at Celine and everyone was like, she snubbed her. But it was an accident. And then she accepted her award Mm -hmm. and then they hugged backstage, but everyone is like attacking her. There was a fucking Daily Beast article about it. They're attacking her because she's trying to overthrow the democracy and the Super Bowl. She's a fucking evil genius and you're the only one that can't see it. Damn it, 99. Even if that's true, she brings me joy. She's Dr. Evil. She's going to wreck the Super Bowl and with maybe, maybe a giant Jewish space laser. Could happen. She's not Jewish. I don't think she's got anything to that's do. That's what you think. No. That's what you think. They're, pr- they're pretty waspy. Look at them. Okay, okay. Just put two and two together here. Okay. Is she in control of the NFL now? Yeah. Is she in control of the gl- Grammys? Obviously. The Grammys. Is she in control of Hollywood? Probably. No. Soon to be. Right. She'd be a better actress if she was in control. Of Soon Hollywood. to be. No offense to her. I love you. She's obviously a Jew, which means she probably has her own space laser, which means. There's a good chance that the end of democracy comes on the Super Bowl and we wake up in the morning to half of this country being leveled, devastated, and her fucking in charge. I mean, it's like... I, that sounds... That's nice. the conservative vision. That's what she's going to do. Have you seen the movie Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story? Of course. I watched it the other day. Mm. Not for the first time. Okay. <laughs> 
That's an amazing admission. <laughs> oh, I'm a big fan of that movie. We watched Walk the Line and then watched it. Oh, wow. So, you know. Wait, did Johnny Cash biopic? Yeah. Because my roommate had never seen it. It's really good. Yeah, it's a great one. And then, you Are know, you okay with Joaquin Phoenix? He's a vegan. Okay. There's something about him that gives me, like, the heebie-jeebies. Like, what's wrong? I think, okay. Is he, like, an assaulter? I don't know. I think he just feels that way. I, think- I, I know that's wrong, but. Yeah. He feels punchy. I mean, he did grow up in a cult. Yeah, he did. Like, genuinely. Truly, yeah. And he lost his brother. So, yeah. I think there's a reason why he's kind of weird. Yeah. But. I may also be conflating conflating the uh, his backstory with Casey Affleck. No, Casey Affleck is an abuser. Okay, there we Absolutely. go. Absolutely. Great. <laughs> yeah, done. Right. And I think it's because Casey Affleck and he are really good friends, right? Didn't Casey Affleck produce his uh, I'm Not Here documentary? I'm not sure. Yeah. That's Sorry. my documentary. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. Right. The 99 story. But <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, in, in Walk Hard, they have his agents are like a bunch of like Hasidic Jews. Do you remember that? <laughs> no. And they, they literally just openly talk about how the Jews run everything. And it's so blatant and hilarious because it's like Judd Apatow made it. And one of the Jews is Harold Ramis, too. Oh, amazing. So it's just, you know, who's one of his Jews eventually? Who? David Krumholtz. Ah. Look at that. Look what you did. Mm-hmm. Full circle. But it just made Full me think circle. of that. I stand by that movie. Okay. I watched it, I think, when it came out, and I thought it was really funny. I Don't don't look at the time. Don't diminish my story. Do you know why I'm looking at the time? Because you have to leave. I have to pee so bad. Sorry, hold it in. Get a UTI. My bad. See what I care. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Moving on. Look, there's just, there's a really good, if you Google, like, Jesus. walk hard, like, the history of walk hard, there's a really Jesus good, son. they wrote it in, like, 2019. I look back on what they thought it was going to be like reinventing the music biopic in a way mm-hmm. and because it was funny. Um, it's not going to be funny when I pee on your shoes. I took my shoes off, so I'm safe. There, I have. Oh, you know, that's a way to protect your feet against uh, fungus. Taking my shoes off? No, pee on them in the shower. That sounds like someone who pisses on their feet made that up. Probably. <laughs> you know what's really great? <laughs> Pissed on your own feet. I've got two s- short comments from YouTube. If you don't mind. Go for it. Before you get to the sponsor. I just want to. I. All right. No one lets hard. me speak. I'm never given a platform. <laughs> Women are silenced. No one ever lets me talk. Grennan1010 said this video has done more to convince me to vote for Biden than anything I've seen or heard in the past half decade. And Jeff A said, Max, I listened to this in the car while I kept my daughter sleeping for a stubborn nap. One point you talked about communication was yes, how poor Biden is about communication, but also how there's no plan other than just saying the court will have to wait for something to be done. The alternative, what I thought about, was using the Republican strategy against themselves, and by that I mean fear. What's stopping the Dems from saying, hey look, I'm unwilling to expand and pack the SCOTUS, but what's stopping Trump from doing that, so go vote? Is this a genuine possibility in terms of constitutional law? One thing that is true is that there's no bottom to Republican depravity and the next strong man will go ahead and just say, F it, I'll expand it and grow the court to a 12-3 advantage. That was my fear. Anyway, it's time to return home as my infant started to wake up. Great episode as always. Solidarity. So it is, many constitutional scholars believe that it is absolutely within the purview of the executive branch to expand the court, just like FDR threatened to do when he wasn't getting his way uh, when they were holding up a number of uh, the social reforms that he was trying to do uh, in the later stages of the Great Depression. Now, I will say, though, I do not see a universe in which that can actually happen. 
I think it would be bloodshed and pandemonium in the streets if either one of them attempted to expand the court. And that's why I actually I actually thought Biden got that right when people were calling for him to expand the court because nothing would have would have suggested being a sore loser more than the uh, than just, you know, creating a brand new court out of the court that you didn't get to appoint. That being said, this court has proven itself to be irresponsible, completely corrupt and illegitimate in all ways from accepting donor funds from the way that they've all been surfaced as candidates through the Federalist Society and the decisions that they're making while clearly being in the pocket of big corporations. So um, sad, all around sad. But Jeff, thank you for that. And I hope you have many more beautiful little naps ahead of you with your infant. Thank you for writing in. And uh, that concludes the show and gets us to the pee break. But first, we want to thank the following people for moving platforms and or signing up net new to become members of the show. Here we go. I'm going to rapid fire them off. Rock and roll. Muns 3D, Cody B, Ryan R, Rebecca B, Brian V, John J, Mark P, Eric W, Mary G, Sigma 666, Evil. DK, jo- Jose. Jose, <laughs> Jose, Jose, Jose. Jose C, Michael K, Don F, Tim G, Jennifer Y, David P, Jennifer C, Danielle W, Matt W, Joel B, Fran E, Leslie O, Zuzka S, Damon H, Kellum T, RBH, AO, Charles M, A-O. Manson, <laughs> Anthony E, Bolger B, Dustin C, Brendan C, Sean M D, David M J, Gavin L, Leanne R, and Bo W. It's a lot of members switching platforms coming over to get consolidated and on the UNFTR platform and new. a handful of some net new members. Thank you for supporting what we do and for bringing me this pee break. Love to you all. See you on the flip side.